0: You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics.
1: It it certainly wasn't an overnight decision, but in making that decision soon after, uh, the game basically had to do with a couple of things that we could get started with. The idea that I just went through of adding a guy to our defensive staff and therefore eventually adding a coach that will help in the, on the defense and a recruiter that will help on the defense. And then the other part of it, you know, basically gave Bruce uh, a longer period of time uh, to position himself for a job as these jobs are open out there. In an overall statement about that, one of one of my thoughts has been uh, to um, eventually here soon add another coach to our staff uh, and then split up the special teams' duties uh, amongst our staff.
2: And welcome here to another edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett and Nate Clow says it's been a week of change in Lincoln As you heard Mike Riley kind of discuss more of his thought process on uh, letting go of Bruce Reed. That was Sunday night when Nebraska uh, was announced to the Music City Bowl. They'll play Tennessee on December 30th in Nashville. It's a Friday game at 2.30, so you better take a a half day that day because you're going to be at a sports bar somewhere at 2.30 watching the Huskers and the Volunteers. But um, as I bring in Robin and Nate, guys, uh, Nebraska, let's go, Bruce. We discussed that last week, wasting no time. And a story, Nate, that you broke uh, last Friday, right after we taped the show, Dante Williams uh, was who Nebraska targeted. They got him right away. He was announced officially Monday, uh, but it really kind of got out there Friday that he was going to be the guy. And it was an interesting move. Because there were a lot of questions like, wait a minute, this guy coaches corners. What does that mean for the staff going forward? Well, Mike Riley, I think, has laid it down pretty clear that he wants that balance, five offense, five defensive coaches, uh, assuming that they bring on uh, the 10th coach rule, which most people think will happen. But uh, your initial thoughts, Nate, on the Dante Williams hire?
3: Well, yeah, it wasn't interesting because he's a cornerback's coach, and, and so there was some um, some thought that there could be additional uh, shakeup on, on the staff, and, and especially because Dante Williams doesn't really have any special teams background, and, and of course that was the the primary position that he's he's replacing here. But I think above all, uh, he wants a, a recruiter, and that's exactly what Dante Williams is. They already have a kind of a niche in Southern California. That's an area that they've had some success <clears throat> at, and I think uh, of course. Dante Williams is an expert in that area. He's from Los Angeles. He's, he's recruited that, that area very, very well. Uh, and, and I think in, in talking with a lot of recruits and a lot of coaches, the name Dante Williams kept coming up with, uh, with all these recruits and high school coaches uh, in terms of who's recruiting you, who do you have a relationship with. And so I feel like uh, Mike Riley said, well, you know what? It would be a lot easier to recruit in, in the area that we want to be in if we had this guy on our team. So he we went and got him.
2: You know, what's interesting, too, Robin, is Nebraska looked at what he was making at Arizona, 215000 And I think they said, all right, we're just going to go all in. We're going to pay this guy $400,000. we are not even going to make it a decision. And, um, you know, a lot of people, I think, on the West Coast were shocked. But Dante Williams now will, will coach this week. He'll be at practice on the weekend, and he'll be at the bowl game coaching against Tennessee. Yeah,
4: that's huge. And, you know, obviously... Looking at the rest of the, the coaching staff, that frees up Mark Banker to resume kind of that overall coordinator position. You know, whereas last year he was kind of split in time working as the safeties coach and, and defensive coordinator. And, you know, Brian Stewart, you know, can, can take over uh, the safeties with William Sagan over the corner. So kind of a reshuffling of the back end of the defensive coaching responsibilities. But uh, obviously he gets a lot of praise as a recruiter. But on the field, I mean, he coached some pretty darn good secondaries. I mean, at San Jose State before he went to Arizona, they led the nation in passing yards allowed per game in 2014 and ranked number two in 2015. Uh, So obviously the guy knows what he's doing. In fact, I think he coached um, Marcus Peters back when he was at Washington as a secondary coach back there. So uh, the guy's got a pretty good resume that goes beyond uh, just being good in the living room. So I I think this was kind of, you know, we use the term home run hire quite a bit, but I don't know if Nebraska could have done much better um, than getting Dante Williams.
2: Sean Callahan, Rob Washa, Nate Klaus, as we discuss the the addition of Dante Williams and what it Means for Nebraska going forward, the Huskers will play in the Music City Bowl against Tennessee. And you know, a week ago on this very show, all of us thought Nebraska was probably going to Tampa in the Outback Bowl, but that all changed with the the nature of that Iowa loss. Even though know, Nebraska was nine and three, and Iowa was eight and four, they tied in the standings. Iowa owned a decisive head-to-head victory, and the Hawkeyes wanted to go to Tampa. They did not want to go to San Diego, um, so they got that bowl bid. Now Nebraska will vi- virtually play a road game. Against the Tennessee team in Nashville, uh, where, you know, the stadium that seats. I think sixty-eight, sixty-nine thousand, 69,000, and I wouldn't be surprised if it's close to full uh, because of just the the location of it for Nebraska fans to get there and obviously Tennessee fans. Uh, but, Robin, when you look at this matchup, um, it's intriguing to me. I, I, I think, honestly, it's the one matchup where Nebraska fans could travel to, um, and I don't think a lot of fans would have traveled to Tampa. I think this is a game, though, you might see more fans at, and um, it's kind of one of those games where it, it could really swing a lot of things going in the offseason.
4: Yeah, you know, and from a logistics standpoint, standpoint like you said it's much easier to get to nashville for most nebraska fans uh, than it is to tampa i mean just from an expense standpoint alone Uh, so that helps i think that'll generate a bigger crowd and obviously you know going to nashville there's, there's a lot to do there so i think nebraska fans will have a pretty good time outside of the game for those that do go but uh you look at the matchup too i mean tennessee obviously they've they've gone through their share of struggles this season but they're a brand name sec school um that i think like you said if, if nebraska is able to kind of put on a performance like they did a year ago versus ucla which oddly enough it's kind of a very similar situation you know nebraska is coming off a disappointing end of the year looking for some momentum going to the offseason against you know playing a essentially a road game in their bowl in their bowl game uh with a team that really doesn't care all that much or seem to care all that much. I mean, some of the reports coming out of Tennessee, uh, the, the focus seems to be far beyond just getting ready for a bowl game. And there's some, you know, a lot of, uh, tumultuous feelings, I think with the coaching staff and, you know, people around the program. So, uh, I think Nebraska, uh, has a pretty good shot here. If they come in focused the way they did a year ago and Mike Riley's track record in bowl games, uh, speaks for itself. So I have no doubt Nebraska is going to be ready to play. And like I said, if they're able to put on a uh, showing like they did last season, uh, in the Foster Farms Bowl, uh, that's going to be a nice kickstart into 2017.
2: Nate, what worries me about Tennessee is you know they have material. I mean, this is a team that's recruited at a top 10 level the last two, three classes. And you look at what they did to other Big Ten teams in their previous two bowl games. I mean, they just boat raced Northwestern. That was a 10-2 and two Northwestern team. And then the year before in a bowl game, uh, they, they destroyed Iowa and Jacksonville. So this is a team, when they want to play – they can play, um, and they showed that this year. They beat Florida. They took AM and out of the wire, but now we know the SEC really wasn't as good as it maybe was cracked up to be, but uh, there is talent on the Tennessee team that could give Nebraska a lot of problems.
3: Yeah, they've got talent everywhere, and really there are only a handful of teams in the entire nation that have recruited better than Tennessee has over the last three or four years uh, or really since Butch Jones has, has gotten there, but he's kind of fallen into that trap where he's he has a lot of recruiting victories under his belt but really hasn't been able to put it all together together on the football field so um yeah this is this is kind of a sneaky matchup because i think you know, it's a traditional matchup against a SEC team. Um, you know, both both teams have have a little bit of history, I guess, with one another. Um, but if if you win, it's great. If you lose, um, you know, or if you win, you, you probably should have won because I, I think Tennessee really isn't like Robin said. There really um, are are some things going on behind the scenes that, that maybe um, you know are playing another factor here. But if you if you lose, then then it's kind of a bad look, and and you're you're kind of limping into the off season.
4: Yeah, a quick note on Tennessee: in their last three games, they gave up 635 yards, 740 yards, and 608 yards <laughs> total offense. Uh, but the good news is, after their loss to Vanderbilt, Butch Jones made sure to note that despite what happened on the field, they did win the championship of life.
2: They are the champions of life, <laughs> and that has been the punchline out of Tennessee in November. Losing to Vanderbilt, though, just a just a crushing blow. Um, that game was in Nashville as well, so Tennessee fans will play back. To, Tennessee will play back-to-back games in Nashville. All right. Well, when we come back, uh, we're going to continue to talk football. The Huskers will be back in bowl practice finally this week. We'll discuss Tommy Armstrong and kind of what his outlook is here for the month ahead, as he may not play in this bowl game. We just don't know that yet, and, and we're going to discuss that next and much more. You're listening to the Husker Online Show.
0: You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. I've been gone, but I think that he'll
1: be, it'll be slow for him to resume full time, full speed. This was, uh, I think we were real fortunate that he was even able to play. And so I think in order to let that thing heal, is that he's going to be, he's not going to go full speed into the early parts of the bowl preparation.
2: And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. That was Nebraska head coach Mike Riley discussing just the outlook of quarterback Tommy Armstrong as the Huskers get ready uh, for their bowl preparations here uh, against Tennessee. And the Huskers will practice this weekend. Friday will be their first practice since the Iowa game. And, you know, let's be honest, you know, Tommy Armstrong, Robin, when you look at that hamstring injury as Robin Washington, Nate Klaus, rejoin us here. If Iowa was not the 12th game of the season, He probably doesn't play in that game, so they kind of gambled. They brought him back, and you hear a lot of rumors that maybe he suffered kind of a setback to that hamstring against Iowa and I don't anticipate we're going to see a lot of Tommy here practicing here over this month and it'll be very interesting to see how Mike Riley handles the quarterback position here going into the bowl game
4: yeah I would doubt that as well uh, just because uh, I I agree he even kind of hinted at that that he did suffer a setback you know um, the first time he got hit he knew something you know his hamstring wasn't right and it wasn't going to be right all day in that game and it showed I mean he was a shell of himself and Uh, Nebraska's offense once again suffered significantly as a result of it and you know, wh- whoever lines up at quarterback, whether it's Tommy or Riker, I mean, Nebraska's offense has to figure it out this month. I mean, they've gotten sig- they've gotten progressively worse uh, over the final five weeks of the yeah, Northwestern season.
2: was the high water mark. Yeah, that-, that was when this offense had like 600 yards and 300 on the ground and almost 300 in the air, and-, and you're like, wow, this this is a good offense. And then it's just gone down every week since that Evanston game.
4: Yeah, and it hasn't just been one spot. It's not just quarterback. The offensive line has struggled. The running game has struggled. The receivers, you know, the timing. In the passing game, is struggled. It seems like everything is just kind of regressed more and more each time this team takes the field. And blame you know injuries all you want, but uh, you know, this is up to the coaches to get this thing you know back on track because you know they're facing a Tennessee defense that yeah they've given up a ton of yards in their own right at the end of the year, but uh, there's a lot of talent and they will capitalize on mistakes. So. Um, you know, obviously, you got to be careful with Tommy because uh, you know he, you got to get him ready to play come December thirtieth. But at the same time, uh, there's there's a lot of work in other spots that needs to be done.
2: Nate, what's been killing Nebraska? I feel at the end of the year too is they they need to get a second kind of running back established. Terrell Newby can give him you know his fifteen to twenty carries, but man, Divino Zigbo, what the heck happened to this guy? He was the best back for Nebraska early on in the year. We haven't really seen him since Wisconsin. Trey Bryan has played a lot lately, Mikel Wilbon in spots. But I think you got to anticipate Tommy's going to be limited as a runner this month, and you need to find that second running back. And whoever that is, they better get it figured
3: out. Yeah, someone's got to help shoulder the load there uh, at running back. And you're right. It looked like Devine of Zygmo was the man uh, early on in the season, that he was the number one guy and he could be your workhorse. And then all of a sudden, uh, Terrell Newby kind of came on, and, and he's had a, a very good year. Um, and then they've seen seemingly, you know, Zigbo just disappears. Uh, he had an ankle injury we know about. But, um, you know, there's something else kind of going on there. I'm not quite sure what it is, but uh, Trey Bryant is kind of on and shown some flashes but there's no question you need to have a second back kind of emerge and be that go-to guy because really the the rotation has been kind of questionable at times i think i i feel like it's been kind of discombobulated uh you know you have terrell newby injured in that iowa game and the rotation with some other guys just uh hasn't always made sense at times to me uh, I feel like it may have affected the flow uh, of the offense a little bit so um, you'd really like to see that run game get click in here over the the bowl prep and and have a second guy emerge
2: you're listening here to the Husker online show Sean Callahan Robin Washer day classes we get you ready for uh, bowl practice month here as Nebraska should get about maybe 10 practices in in Lincoln and about five done in uh, – or uh, not Jacksonville, (laughs) Nashville. I'm so used to – like we've gone to the same three bowls for the last 10 years. It's either been San Diego, Orlando, or Jacksonville. Uh, It's kind of weird to say a new bowl destination. Um, But, you know, I I think this will be a good month to get the young guys ready. Um, I remember last year, Robin, what Nebraska would do is they would kind of let the veteran guys get out of practice early, you know, maybe 30 minutes And then the last 30 minutes, you let the the, the rookies or the freshmen and the young guys that really aren't in the mix – Kind of have their time and let them scrimmage, and I imagine they'll do a lot of that here this week and next week.
4: Yeah, and that's kind of what they did in the bye week this this year too. So uh, I fully anticipate that being a similar plan, uh, just because Nebraska knows the importance of, you know, why well, you got to prepare for one more game. This is also kind of the unofficial start to next season. I'm getting young guys ready to play who are going to because they lose a huge senior class uh, this this com- coming up in 2017. So that they got to get guys ready to play, um, and particularly you know you look at that. Quarter quarterback position I think guys like Tanner Lee and Patrick O'Brien are going to get quite a bit of reps over the next month uh, as that competition is now kind of officially underway if it wasn't already uh, this is when it's finally going to get in full swing
2: you're listening here to the Husker online show Sean Callahan Robin Washett Nate Klaus and you start to look ahead to this matchup against Tennessee uh, just kind of looking at the Vols offense um, really everything they do Nate Runs through Josh Dobbs, their quarterback. He's their leading rusher, 713 rushing yards a game. He's got a r- long run on the year of 70 yards, nine rushing touchdowns, and then his passing. Um, you know, he's a 2600 yard passer, uh, 26 touchdowns, and his 12 interceptions. So, um, you know, I, I followed Tennessee just from afar because they were on the national stage all year, and I think. The challenge for this defense will be Dobbs and just defending him. And that will really be, to me, a lot of the talk as the Huskers get ready, um, is if you shut down Josh Dobbs, I think you can win this game.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I think Josh Dobbs, there's no question, he's kind of the heart and soul of this uh, Tennessee team. And every, like you said, everything runs through him. So if, if you can – Slow him down or or contain him and just really not allow him to to beat you on his own, uh, then you've got a pretty good chance to to win this football game. Um, You know, and and it's going to be interesting to me how healthy Tennessee comes into this football game because I know they've really dealt with a lot of injuries. Well, Um, then
2: Jalen Hurd, their other leading rusher at the time, just left the mm -hmm. team up and left and transferred in the middle of the year. So they've had a lot of drama with 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 everything on that team.
3: Yeah, they really have. Uh, And that was, I mean, that was kind of a head scratcher that he just up and left and. The middle of the, of the season and then I believe they're the guy that took over for Jalen Hurd uh, had been out or had missed a few games at running back as well so um, and then they've been hit by the injury bug in the trenches too so uh, they've, they've had a lot of injuries as has Nebraska so uh, I think that will definitely be as kind of a storyline heading into this game you know
2: another thing Robin as you look at Mike Riley um, in bowl games he's seven and two as a coach in bowl games um, his two losses, one of them, we I remember we were watching in Orlando. They blew a lead against Texas in the Alamo Bowl, and they had that game. So, I mean, every bowl game that Mike Riley's been involved in, his teams have been ready, and and he's done very well. So, um, I don't think you can really question Mike Riley's approach to bowl games. Um, he's got about as good of a record. Now, granted, he hasn't played in a you know a high caliber Rose Bowl or a game like that, but his his bowl record is really impressive usually you know you're about 500 or less and and he's at seven and two as a coach in bowl games
4: yeah I think that kind of speaks to his ability as a as an X's and O's game planning type coach Um, you know obviously you you have to be able to uh, do a lot of different things over the course of an entire month between one game to another and you know Mike Riley's shown that he's got a pretty good plan for doing that and obviously this this year's going to be a little different just considering the injury situation at quarterback and, you know, some of the other um, issues that they're going to have to try and address, you know, during practices. But uh, I think that that if you're going to feel – comforted by you know by one aspect is that Mike Riley Mike Riley and his staff have a system that has worked very very well over a long period of time uh, to get their teams ready to play come bowl time and you know I guess given kind of the, the flux uh, that Tennessees in uh, I think that that definitely is going to be a huge advantage for Nebraska
2: and it's so important when you talk about a place like Nebraska where there are just way too many media members that cover this team and way too many sports talk shows that cover a football team. You know, you got to win the bowl game because in a place like this, if you lose the bowl game, it's doom and gloom um, and it can make for a really long offseason, Nate.
3: Yeah, there's no, there's no question about that. I mean, I've been asked a lot. You know, is this, is this a, a must-win game, or, or is this it a always game? is? Yeah, it always is. Every bowl game, every game is. A every win. game really is. But yeah, especially every bowl game is because if you don't win the bowl game, then everyone just has a sour taste in their mouth heading into spring ball and into to next fall. So yes, this is an important game and something that could really help Nebraska springboard into next season. All
2: right. When we come back, uh, we will uh, discuss Husker basketball. next. Next. It's been a, um, a rough stretch here, and, and the Huskers dropped a, a big one at home to Creighton, uh, just a blowout-type fashion. We're going to discuss hoops with Robin Walsh at next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show.
0: This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.
1: Creighton, a lot of credit. I thought that uh, they did an excellent job, especially the start of the games and in the second half. About five minutes in when they made their run. They're an extremely talented team. They're well coached. I think, uh, you know, they beat us tonight. And it makes me just, you know, obviously disappointed and sick to my stomach that we couldn't foster a better fight. Thought we were in good shape uh, until Ty picked up his fourth, and then we went on a long, long drought that we can't allow to happen.
2: And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show, the segment of the Husker Online Show brought to you by Tanner Sports Bar and Grill. With uh, seven locations now, five in Omaha, two in Lincoln, and uh, actually was in Tanners after Nebraska's game here uh, against Creighton, a disappointing loss. But uh, the new Tanners that are on eight, uh, 70th and A doing really well. So you need to get out there and check out their newest location um, and get in there on Wednesday nights for their Burger Night, five dollar uh, burgers on the menu, um, any burger you want. So it's a it's a great uh, night to get in there during the basketball season. But Robin. You, you look at this loss as we bring Robin Washington seventy-two to sixty or seventy-seven to sixty-two to Creighton, and it really wasn't even that close.
4: Well, I mean, it was a one-point gain at halftime. Nebraska had it tied again early to start the second half. Ty Webster picks up his fourth foul, and Nebraska's offense completely shuts down. Uh, and I don't know; it's a top ten team. Nebraska, you know, obviously hasn't had a
2: spread was at four, four yeah, and a half, which, so.
4: which I thought was. I don't know. I was a little confused by that, and the final score kind of shows why. But uh, you know, the, the the offensive woes are as big of a concern as anything. The, the final result wasn't really that big of a surprise. I mean, Creighton's really good. They're a top 10 team. They're undefeated. Uh, they're going to compete for a Big East championship. So I mean, it is what it is in that regard. But. The way Nebraska lost that game is the concerning part. Now, keep in mind, Creighton is not a defensive powerhouse. They, they score in bunches, but they're giving up almost 74 points a game and allowing 44% shooting from the field by their opponents on the year. Nebraska could barely even buy a bucket. I mean, they, they had two scoring droughts of six-plus minutes, missing 11 field goals and 12 field goals in, in each of those. They shot 32% from the floor. 13% from three-point range. It was miserable. Without Ty Webster, who had 20 points, and a lot of that came in junk time towards the end of the game, uh, this thing is a total disaster. Uh, and there was no one else willing to step up. There's uh, there's just a total confusion on every single offensive possession, especially when they got in the half court. They got zero points in transition. Uh, it was really just kind of a, a full-circle uh, just implosion offensively and the problem is this has happened more than once this isn't a one time thing it seems like every big game we're talking about the same stuff nebraska couldn't score they went on x amount of minute scoring droughts they shot a terrible percentage from the field i mean it's it's time and again we're talking about the same issues and what was kind of interesting to me was after the game, Tim Miles was asked about these scoring droughts and, you know, how they become a pattern. Uh, And his first answer was, well, we built this program to be a defensive-oriented team, which is fine and good, but that's not going to win you any games if you can't score points. And Nebraska is so limited offensively right now that if Ty Webster and Glenn Watson have off nights, no one else is able to step up and score. And it's going to it was an issue early on this year uh, in games like Virginia Tech and even games against Clemson. It was an issue against Creighton, certainly. And it's going to be an issue for the rest of the season. Uh, unless some other guy can step up and provide to be a viable third option, um, then they probably need more than three. They probably need three or four. Uh, it's going to be a long year offensively uh, because you can't expect to win games 60 to 58 every night no unfortunately Nebraska's kind of put itself in a position to where if they don't play exceptional defense they're not going to have a chance to win
2: you're listening here to the Husker online show as this segment is brought to you by Tanner Sports Bar and Grill in Omaha and Lincoln and uh, Robin as as we uh, look at it too I mean Nebraska had opportunities I mean it was I think it's still a two-point game at like the 16 minute mark of the second half and Creighton had picked up a lot of quick fouls So there were going to be free throw opportunities if Nebraska just had something going. But I felt like the urgency of the offense, they they don't even cross the timeline until about the 21-second mark on the shot clock. And then the time you get there and you dink around for another five or six seconds, all of a sudden that shot clock's down to nothing. And um, there, there just is no feel to what they want to do, and Creighton had them so well scouted. I mean, Greg McDermott has beaten... Tim Miles, literally, every time they've played as coaches at all levels Thir- of basketball. 13 and 0. And he's undefeated against Tim Miles on the golf course to add in more insult to that uh, statistic.
4: Yeah. Uh, Creighton's always had a very good scout, and uh, their assistant coach, DeVries. Darren DeVries uh, yeah, is Darren a great, DeVries, great coach. Uh, he's the mastermind behind it. He gets the scout every time Nebraska and Creighton play, and he's got Tim Miles figured out to a T. We've seen it time and again. And uh, the, the offensive. Woes, you know, like you mentioned, you know, in the half court where they really don't don't seem to know what they're doing with the ball that to me says it's a team that doesn't have a plan uh, you're going down just kind of hoping to try and create things on the fly and uh, it's extremely frustrating I know to Nebraska basketball fans I hear about it on the message board I hear about it on Twitter and I can't disagree there's nothing really I can say I mean the, the, the offense is just so disjointed and so inconsistent that again if you don't have one guy putting on a heroic effort and dropping 25 to 30 points or Jack
2: McVeigh hitting a bunch of threes yeah or... they're,
4: they're lost. Uh, Their ability to create scoring opportunities in the half court is really concerning to me right now. And that goes to not having you know true scorers on your roster right now i mean anton gill was supposed to be one of those guys that could go create his own mm-hmm. shot he's been terrible glenn watson you know i mean he was he had an off night i mean i guess he still had about 8 or 9 points but you like i said if he has a game like that nebraska's not going to win Ty webster had 20 but uh, how many of those came in the last 5 minutes of the game when the things were already decided so it's 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 been an issue for 5 years now and at this point yeah they have some young guys that they're excited about coming up but we haven't seen any reason to believe that things are going to improve offensively.
2: As we wrap it up here, Robin. Now Nebraska goes to Kansas uh, Saturday game here on ESPN. It's a 2:15 tip-off. Um, we'll all be down in Lawrence here for this matchup. And Huskers are five and four. Um, you know this is going to be the, kind of the end of a tough stretch before they get a a break for finals week. Then they have uh, two kind of home wins you'd hope Gardner Webb and Southern before Big Ten play. They'll get a holiday break there as well, but. Um, this this is n- not an ideal time to be playing Kansas after the stretch Nebraska's been through.
4: Yeah, the, the bad news is Kansas is probably a, a faster, more athletic team with more NBA talent than what they just saw against Creighton. So it's clearly uh, not a good recipe, especially going down to Fog Allen, where Kansas just doesn't lose. So. You kind of just take that game for what it is. Uh, if, if, if nothing else, it'll be a cool experience for the fans going down there to, to to see Fog Allen one more time. But, yeah, like you said, they close the year with Gardner, Webb, and Southern. There should be wins, and so you go into... 7-5. and five. Yeah, you go into Big Ten, play 7-5. and five, And really... Going into the year, this season was all about Big Ten schedule. I mean, the non-con was very difficult. They missed some opportunities. Against they Clemson. maybe could have
2: got an eight and four, nine and three would have been like home run. That would have
4: been, yeah, that would have been best case scenario in my opinion. So, you know, they they fell short of that. But there are games the way the Big Ten conference schedule sets up that I think Nebraska has a chance to, to maybe surprise some people if if they can get things figured out offensively. I mean, obviously they start out with a brutal. Road stretch at Indiana at Maryland, then you have Iowa coming to town. Iowa's extremely down. You know just beat Iowa. Yeah, and you got Northwestern, who's better? But you know that's a home game that I still think Nebraska should win. Uh, I agree. Ohio State's down. You get them at home. You got Michigan Ohio State. Ohio State just
2: lost the Florida Atlantic this yeah, week.
4: Yeah, Michigan State's beat up. You know, they're injury riddled, so they're clearly not the team they thought they were going to be coming into the year. Uh, you got Penn State at home. You got Illinois, who's improved, but again, I think Nebraska should win that game at home. So their home schedule is fairly favorable. Well, they can maybe
2: get five or six conference wins at home if, if it breaks right.
4: Right, and then, you know, you got to go, you got to beat Rutgers on the road. You got to find ways to uh, maybe pull off an upset, you know, maybe beat Iowa on the Road, you know, maybe knock off Michigan State again. I don't know. But anyway, long story short, the season is from what we originally expected the goals to be, is far from over. I still think that the ultimate goal going into the year was an NIT. That's still within the realm of possibility, but they got a lot to figure out for that to happen.
2: All right, when we come back, uh, we will shift over to the mailbag. We had a couple weeks off of the mailbag segment. Uh, We're bringing it back by popular uh, demand. Husker Online intern David Eichholt will join us here next, and we'll take your questions. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show.
0: This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.
1: So you get the added bonus of of development uh with an opportunity to play one more game with your current team and i'm really proud to be able to do that because this has been a great group fun to work with and, and uh, we certainly appreciate uh, the the year that we had
2: and welcome back here to the husker online show sean callahan robin washett nate klaus and we bring in husker online intern david eichold as we open up the mailbag segment we took a couple of weeks off and we realized how popular this segment was a lot of people uh, were upset we didn't have the mailbag the last couple of shows so uh, back by popular demand the interns are in the show we get the mailbag david we got a lot of questions what do you got for us out of the gates
5: all right number one uh do you think for the staff do you think the staff will create a similar game plan for tennessee that they had for the ucla game and is that really dependent on tommy's health yeah,
2: I mean, it's hard to compare things to last year uh, against UCLA, but, um, yeah, I think a lot of it will just depend on on what Tommy can do and, and if he is the guy. I mean, they might have to c- c- create a game plan for Riker Fife, uh, for all we know, with, with his wrist injury. I mean, I think all of us, though, would agree we think Tommy's going to play in this game. It's a matter of how close to effective will he be, and it's that dual threat ability, Robin. Yeah,
4: I agree. There's still a lot of variables that you know, need to be answered before we can kind of really predict what Nebraska's game is going to be. But I can guarantee you running the football will be a top priority uh, because it has to be. I mean, that's that's how Nebraska wins games. That's how they won early in the year. And, you know, the reason that their their success tapered off at the end of the season was because the running game got, you know, less and less productive as the year went on.
3: I actually feel like there are a lot of parallels between this bowl game and last year's bowl game because Tennessee's defense, rush defense isn't very good and and especially if you have concerns or questions at the quarterback position, I think that puts more of an emphasis on the rush on the rush game. So uh, that's that's what I'm expecting in, in this bowl game.
2: And they're I think they're over-aggressive on defense, Tennessee. So I wouldn't be surprised if we saw the screen game be a big part of it in this bowl game. Mike Riley, uh, great in the screen game. All right, what do you got next for us, David Eichel in the mailbag? Uh,
5: what is the biggest part of the game plan that needs to be executed to have success in the bowl game?
2: Well, we kind of hit on it, but it, it will be the running. But I think defensively, if you want to go on that side, it's it's Joshua Dobbs. Tennessee's offensive line has been very inconsistent. I mean, they went to overtime with Appalachian State. Frank Solich in Ohio took them down to the wire. Um, this is a team that plays at the level of the competition, um, and, and they got blown out by Alabama, obviously. But um, Nebraska is getting this team at the right time, and I, I think the biggest thing, too, for me will be Just kind of laying some blows early and and pushing Tennessee back and, and, you know, messing with their mental psyche because it has been a really, really long month, Robin.
4: I'm going to go with explosive plays on both sides of the ball. offense needs to generate more big chunk yardage and big you know long yard scores and the defense has to prevent them from happening i mean that that iowa game was uh the the pinnacle of uh, nebraska failing in both of those regards Uh, they cannot afford to give up big plays like that defensively and offensively they they need to do more than just do the 16 to 18 play scoring drive that chews up seven minutes i mean they they got to get that um you know that Big play punch back into the offense. And that starts, I think, with the passing game.
3: And to me, it's it's uh, big plays, but also some consistency there. Um, you can't see on offense, you can't see any lulls like we saw throughout the season, where you'd have you know a good opening drive or, or a good second drive, and then all of a sudden things would just completely stall out for the second quarter or for the rest of the first and second quarter. So um, yeah, I, I think from from start to finish, Nebraska has to be consistent on offense and, and kind of put Tennessee away. Don't if if you can, you know, don't allow them to hang around and this
5: game.
2: All right. We're taking your questions in the mailbag. Uh, what do you have next, David?
5: Uh, how would you compare Tanner Lee to Patrick O'Brien as far as strengths and weaknesses? Does O'Brien have a higher ceiling?
2: Yeah. I think when you look at, uh, Tanner Lee, it's the maturity, um, right off the bat. When you see this guy, when you talk to him, um, he just carries himself almost like an NFL type guy already. Just very mature and poised has an extremely quick release, six foot four two twenty-five. kind of a late bloomer, uh, but it's that release that really, to me, and it just is experience that he brings to the table. But, yeah, I agree. Um, I do think O'Brien is somebody that physically, when you look at just his his body makeup, his arm strength, I mean, he's like a Ben Roethlisberger-type body and, and with that mobility. So there is a lot there. And Tristan Jebby, it's going to be fun to see, Nate, um, when you look at these quarterbacks.
3: Yeah, I think Patrick O'Brien probably has a higher ceiling in terms of of mobility, uh, maybe overall athleticism a little bit. I I think he's uh, pretty underrated as a guy who could uh, move the chains with his feet and and extend plays with his feet. Uh, So I, I think... I'm excited to see that part of Patrick O'Brien's progression, but uh, Tanner Lee, I think, has the upper hand in terms of strength and, and overall mechanics. And then, like you said, Sean, that the maturity, that experience level that he brings to the table is really what separates him uh, from Patrick O'Brien.
4: Yeah, and I think the the fact that we've heard you know a couple different NFL personnel people or people with NFL ties regard Tanner Lee as not only a future pro but potentially a first round draft pick, that says you need to, all you need to know about what his ceiling could be,
2: could be. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washa, Nate Klaus, and we're David Eichel taking your questions in the mailbag.
5: Uh, Which recruit did the new hire have the biggest
2: impact on? Nate, all you, Betty. Well,
3: (laughs) I I think, right, I mean, it has to be Greg Johnson, the the Rivals 100 athlete out of uh, Los Angeles Hawkins High School. The teammate of five-star wide receiver Joseph Lewis. You know, um, Dante Williams had... Greg Johnson committed uh, to Arizona on March 1st of of this past uh, spring. And um, even though Greg Johnson had kind of looked around and and had had taken an official visit to Nebraska before Dante Williams was hired, it was no coincidence that Greg Johnson decommits from Arizona the night before uh, Mike Riley officially put out the press release on on Dante Williams' hire. So those two are are pretty much connected at the hip, and and I think I will be very, very shocked if Greg Greg Johnson does not end up in Lincoln because of the Dante Williams hire.
2: All right, we got time for one more question here in the mailbag.
3: All right, I got some heat from Robin on this issue, but
5: how early is too early to start celebrating Christmas? (laughs) Robin called me the Grinch over Twitter with a lovely gif.
4: Uh, Anything before Thanksgiving is too early, in my opinion.
2: Yeah, we put the tree up, I think, on the weekend before Thanksgiving because we weren't hosting Thanksgiving. So that was our, our cop out, but in, our lights go up. Uh, I, I pay for the record. I pay to put my lights up. I'm not getting up on a <laughs> painter's ladder on a two story house and risking my life to hang Christmas lights. So. Sean,
5: I just think you're too sick. Yeah.
2: That's <laughs> a whole nother show here, but, um, yeah, I, we do a lot of early ones in our family as far as kind of like getting everyone. My dad's doing one on the 23rd or doing one on the 20th. So you, you When you have a family, you know, big family, it's sometimes hard to get everything figured out. So we try to do multiple gatherings, and a lot of them take place before Christmas.
3: Yeah, for me, I don't want to see Christmas lights. I don't want to hear Christmas music or any of that before Thanksgiving. It has to come after Thanksgiving. And and usually I'm good with about a week after Thanksgiving to to start seeing trees and lights and, and hearing the music.
4: I will say now that I got a little baby. I'm way more in the Christmas spirit now than I was maybe a year ago. So maybe your Grinchness will go away once your family expands, David. Yeah, are,
2: are we have. To, we're leaving for the bowl trip on the n- afternoon or evening of the 25th, and you weren't happy, Robin. I could tell it was. Um, yeah, I wanted, wanted to watch my baby open presents. Even, <laughs> well, she, even though she can't even hold her head up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that wraps it up here uh, for the the Husker Online Mailbag. We will close the show next with Nate Clow says. We'll get more thoughts on the Dante Williams hire and what's on tap this weekend as Nebraska will have uh, a pretty good recruiting weekend on tap. That's all next here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show.
0: You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics.
2: Final segment here of the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan and Nate Klaus as uh, we get you up to speed here. With Husker recruiting, it's the final official visit weekend here of the year before they go into the dead period. Nebraska will have three more um, visit weekends they can use in January, Nate, but um, a lot going on uh, this week. It's really kind of you know just that stressful week for coaches where they're trying to wrap up things before the dead week. They want to have one more weekend. They want to get the early, enrolling guy, early enrollee guys set up and figured out uh, they're trying to get bowl practices going here over the weekend as well, so um, it doesn't get really any more stressful, I think, for coaches than this type of week here in in, in recruiting.
3: Well, yeah, you got a lot of fires that you've got to put out on out on the, the recruiting trail. A lot of guys that you got to prioritize and see, and a lot of strategy going on too. I mean, you get one in home visit with the kid, uh, with the head coach and the the recruit, so you you're kind of you're you're needing to decide, you know, when to use that that in home visit with coach. Riley and um, and when to see a player, um, and and how many how many assistant coaches you're bringing in to see a player, or if you need to. You know, if you need to have a, have a have lunch with a, a player's sister or his mom, or you know, go swing by work to see a mom or a dad. I mean, there the strategy and everything that that goes into the contact period uh, is way more in, involved than I think the typical fan realizes. And then on top of that, you you have uh, you know you have your your football duties, your coaching duties. You got your guys back home that are that are working out. You've got um, now you know who you're playing in the bowl game, and you got to start thinking about. uh, game preparation and everything so uh, no doubt a lot of a lot of juggling at this time of year and um, and a fairly big visit weekend that they've lined up uh, for this for this weekend you've got four guys that are coming in and a couple of which are very highly uh valued targets i think especially offensive lineman chuck filiaga who's a rivals 250 guy they they have to get a big time offensive tackle in this recruiting class and and filiaga could potentially be that guy
2: you're listening here to the husker online show sean callahan nate Klaus, as we get you geared up here for the weekend and you mentioned filaga and the guys coming in um, you know, I think initially we thought it could even be a bigger weekend than what it's going to be. Still a, a quality weekend. You're going to have uh, two four-star guys in um, Isaac Slade. And what's what Slade's a hyphenated last name? Can you pronounce that?
3: Matuatia. Now you, I, would... I think that's how you say it. I'm, I'm sure I'm wrong, but he's from Hawaii, and it's a, it's a Polynesian name, and I believe it's Matuatia or Matuatia. I don't know.
2: <laughs> now, with him and Chuck here together, that might be a good thing as well.
3: Yeah, I think it is. I think that is a, a good thing, um, you know, to have the two Polynesian guys on campus at the same time. Obviously, you've got Mark, uh, Phillip. Mark Phillip, Tavita Thompson, um, you know, Mike Cavanaugh coached at Hawaii. He's got some connections in, in the Polynesian community. Um, and, of course, you know, Mike Riley and and Mark Banker have also uh, dealt with.
2: Uh, Oregon State it, had a good number on Yeah, they roster. had a good
3: number. Of, of Polynesian players on the roster, so they're very, very familiar with the culture. They're familiar with how those types of kids are because they they do seem to, they kind of be a, tot- a, a tight knit group and, and kind of have little little different personalities at times. So yeah, having having two families, two Polynesian families on campus at the same time is, is definitely a smart move by Nebraska. And uh, and Slade Matuatia is a, a four star inside linebacker, um, like I said, from Honolulu. Uh, And there's one linebacker spot left in this class, and I think he'd be a great addition. And then you've got Gavin Holmes, the wide receiver out of Texas, who's a three-star guy, had previously been committed to Iowa, had just a phenomenal senior season. I mean, this kid's senior film is really as good as anybody. I think you could make a case that he's a a four-star type of talent, but decommitted from Iowa in large part because of Kirk Ferentz's visit rules. They have a lot of family in Iowa, which could play in in Nebraska's favor here. So that'll be interesting. And then, of course, Ben Miles, the, the fullback slash H-back uh, commitment out of Baton Rouge, the the son of former LSU head coach Les Miles, will be on campus for his official visit. So, again, a, a pretty solid group of guys. Um, and you, you have to also count in Corian, um uh, yeah,
2: they had a junior college visitor here during the week, right?
3: Yeah, he got a junior college safety on campus. Um, right now, actually, he's 6'3", 200-pound safety from uh, Kilgore Community College. It's on campus. Uh, kind of a surprise midweek uh, you know, visit there, but he's a mid-year enrollee. He's trying to squeeze in all of his visits before the the, the early signing period. And uh, you got Texas Tech, Utah, Oklahoma State uh, also right there in the mix, too. So, and I think he's he, he's thinking about squeezing in one more trip this weekend so uh, we'll see what happens there
2: you're listening here to the husker online show sean callahan nate klaus as we talk recruiting and let's get back to dante williams we, we talked about him in the opening of the show a little bit but man i mean you you really look at what this hire means nate and um I, we knew that this was a california or west coast staff um as far as their connections go but this is just another major Piece to the poker game for Nebraska that they are all in in California and the West Coast.
3: No doubt about it, they're they're definitely all in, and and I think you know a, a common term people have been using is that Nebraska's doubling down in in Los Angeles now, and um and and I would kind of go along with that. I mean. Um, this uh, kind of puts it into perspective. When, when Dante Williams, you know, when the news started coming out, when I reported the, the, that he was going to be the next coach, I got unsolicited text messages from some California high school coaching contacts of mine uh, in Los Angeles, and they told me this is a game changer. Um, one coach told me, that if, if Nebraska thought that the, the the Calabrasca movement was already in effect uh, they have no idea what's coming and that that they've got a good relationship with guys like Keith Williams and Mark Banker but they they have a long standing relationship and, and they quote unquote we know Dante Williams so um, and, and this coach told me if we have a guy Dante knows about him years in advance so he's got like a, a pre-scouting report on it pretty much everyone that's coming out of this particular program, and I know that Dante has those types of connections at pretty much every program in Los Angeles. Um, you know, another high school coach told me that, that uh, you know, he's this, he's a game changer. He's a he's a kid or a, a, a coach that uh, connects very well with these players. He's 34 years old. He's from Los Angeles. He's made it kind of out of the inner city uh, to become a very successful coach, uh, and, and, and he can kind of map out the, the game plan for these guys to 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 do the same thing and he's not just a good recruiter he could develop talent and and try to help these guys reach uh, reach their potential and go into the next level too so there's just there's so many connections and everything involved I I think this is a home run hire and and you've already seen it kind of come into play He's gotten Nebraska back in the mix with Thomas Graham. I think that Thomas Graham, all of a sudden, the top 100 cornerback is is a Nebraska lean. Uh, Diamador Lenore, uh, top 100 corner out of uh, Salesian, is going to be taking an, an official visit uh, to Nebraska. Uh, Darnay Holmes, he's kind of gotten back in on Darnay Holmes. Elijah Blades is a top 100 corner out of Pasadena that's committed to Florida that's going to be coming uh, in for a visit now. And uh, I mean, really, the list goes on and on.
2: Nate, as we wrap it up, I'm going to ask you about three names here that are kind of all on the fence and give us just a, a brief synopsis of each guy. Damian Daniels, defensive tackle out of Dallas. Corona uh, Fees, a cornerback out of Jacksonville, Sandalwood. And then uh, Rancho Cuc- uh, Cucamongo corner, Thomas Graham. All of these guys kind of close to announcements here. They could pop maybe this week. Um, give just a brief update on each one of those guys.
3: Damian Daniels is a big-time D tackle out of Dallas. uh, Just won a state championship, and and I think um, you know I I feel like he could commit to Nebraska at any point in time. I feel like the Huskers are his leader, uh, and he told us that he's going to be making a decision or making an announcement in at any point. So uh, I look to him. I look to Nebraska potentially adding him very very soon. Karan Hafiz, uh, the cornerback out of Jacksonville, is a mid-year enrollee. He's announcing on the nineteenth, and and I kind of feel like Nebraska you know now that Dante Williams is is the cornerbacks coach uh, and there's a ton of new corners kind of reinterested in Nebraska uh, I feel like maybe Nebraska is slow playing him a little bit uh, and maybe they could get it feel like they could get a better player than Hafiz so it'll be interesting to see what happens with him on the 19th and then Thomas Graham like I mentioned um, you know he the the top 100 kid out of Rancho Cucamonga uh, visited Nebraska on his own or I'm sorry for an official Visit. Opening weekend, yeah, right? Yeah, op- opening weekend. Um, but it looked at, at, like he was going to be going to Arizona, which coincidentally is where Dante Williams was at. So uh, now all of a sudden that, that Dante is at Nebraska, I think Nebraska is the new leader and uh, he's another early enrollee, is going to be announcing his decision sometime between now and possibly at the Under Armour All-American game. Uh, but he will be informing the coaches of his decision uh, before the Under Armour All-American game so uh, and if I were a betting man I would say Nebraska ends up getting Thomas Graham um, you know at some point there maybe maybe we'll hear about it at that game
2: well it's definitely going to be a fun uh, stretch here for Nebraska make sure you are logged on to huskeronline.com at all times we also have an app that's available in both the Android and Apple iTunes stores Um, so you can download the the Rivals app on any of your smartphone devices. But uh, make sure you're on Husker Online. as plenty of coverage here this weekend and and the stretch ahead here as we are getting down to what you really come to the site for, and that is uh, the home stretch of recruiting.
0: Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.